Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year, and this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. My name is Alex Kortz, and I've agreed to do a series of podcasts about interesting artifacts um, found in ancient Americas that may shed light on the Book of Mormon. I used to run the Book of Mormon Archaeology podcast and Facebook page, which was later changed to Sacred Archaeology because I was expanding beyond Mormonism. I went through a bit of a faith crisis, um, and so I have uh, stopped producing the podcast and Facebook page just because I didn't want to be disingenuous to my listeners. Um, I have not discounted the Book of Mormon, um, but I'm more agnostic about it. I have a hope. That it is true, and I'm still very interested in diffusionism. It's the idea of ancient cultures uh, connecting, communicating, and trading with one another, where the ancient, where the oceans were, the ancient highways, where isolationists within archaeology believe that all cultures um, developed by themselves and there was no outer influences. So there's two camps in archaeology right now. And I think uh, diffusionism is very interesting. So we are going to talk about a little bit North America here, and we're going to talk about the Michigan artifacts. Um, a little background on myself, since there's a family connection with the Michigan artifacts. I'm the grandson of Elder Milton R. Hunter. He was a member of the First Council of Seventy in the church from 1945 till his death in 1975. That was back then when the council of the, the presidency of the assembly was small. So it was a bigger deal then. Um, he had a PhD in history from uh, the University of California in Berkeley. Um, he was the author of 20, and he, he was, well, he was also the co-founder of the New World Archaeological Foundation, which is still going strong today. Um, author of 23 book, books, including Christ in Ancient America, Archaeology in the Book of Mormon, and the Gospel Through the Ages. So I grew up reading, reading his books, um, obsessed with Book of Mormon and archaeology, and I thought it was in Central America until I served my mission in Ohio and uncovered the mound builder civilizations, the Hopewell and the Adena, and noticed that their timeline matched up much better with the, uh, with the Book of Mormon people. Um, and I ran into in a museum while I was there what are called the Newark Holy Stones, and they were found in the late 1800s in the Newark Mounds, and they have um, Hebrew writing on them, some of the Ten Commandments on them. And it's an older Hebrew, so it could not have been faked in the 1800s when they were found, but they still remain controversial. And we'll do a whole episode on them later on, but today we're going to talk about the, the Michigan artifacts. So why Michigan? Why would the ancient world even know or care about Michigan? Well, it turns out Michigan has some ancient copper mines that date to 3000 BC, and 1.5 billion pounds of this copper was taken in ancient times, and archaeologists don't know where it went. 
Well, copper is interesting because it has a DNA, almost like a DNA signature or a fingerprint where you can identify exactly where that copper came from. And it turns out that this Michigan copper has been found all over ancient sites in the Middle East. For example, it was found in a, a shipwreck off of Bodrum, Turkey, um, that was a, a Minoan ship. Um, dating to around 1500 BC, and Michigan copper was found on that. And it's also been found in Egypt and other Minoan and uh, Phoenician sites. So a lot of scholars think, um, and these are scholars that are diffusionists, and not isolationists, but diffusionists think that ancient uh, or Michigan copper um, really um, fueled the Bronze Age. And to get bronze, you you uh, need a mix of copper and tin. So Michigan probably played a huge role in the ancient world, and, and, and people just don't even know about that. So as we get to the Michigan artifacts, um, what these are, these were found between 1848 and 1920, and they were tablets of stone that had cuneiform and Egyptian writing. And cuneiform is is produced by the ancient Sumerians in, in the Middle East, roughly around you know three thousand to two thousand BC, and also biblical scenes such as the flood and the Tower of Babel, and then even oddly enough some New Testament scenes um, with uh, some scenes about Christ and, and his timeline. So obviously they were controversial from the moment they were found. Um, in 1890, a man named James Scottford reports his first findings. In 1907, Daniel Soper and Reverend James Savage, a Catholic priest, increased, increased the awareness of these Michigan tablets through their own collections and, and through write-ups and, and newspapers. Now, Soper was a former Secretary of State for the state of Michigan, and Reverend Savage was a respected clergyman. Now, in 1910... Bishop Rudolf Eitzenhauser, a missionary for the former L- RLDS Church, the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he produced a small book called Engravings and Prehistoric Specimens from Michigan, USA. Um, and here he highlighted a lot of the Michigan tablets and their interesting ties to the old world um, with, with the scenes carved there and the languages. So... This is when it hit the radar of many, uh, you know, mainstream archaeologists, and they began denouncing these finds because now these these Michigan artifacts are are getting into the mainstream. So they accused uh, Scottford of counterfeit of counterfeiting them. Um, a national committee was was formed to really investigate this to see whether they're genuine or not, led by Professor Frederick Starr of the University of Chicago and Roswell Field of the Chicago Examiner, which is the pre-runner of the Chicago Tribune, and Dr. James Talmadge, director of the Desert Museum in Utah, and of course, an apostle of the LDS Church, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, Professor Starr reported that the artifacts were introduced by slate of hand as everyone watched. So he thought it was a trick. And now this is despite um, Starr having retrieved several artifacts himself during some excavations of these mounds. So even though he retrieved several himself, he uh, thought that this was sort of uh, a magic trick. Um, Talmadge 
then Elder James Talmadge, who we all know, um, went out with uh, Scottford in some indulgences amounts, and they found a, an inscribed tablet. So, um, you know, Talmadge was was very sort of uh, skeptical of this. So he went out again with Scottford and brought Silper this time with him, and they found more inscribed tablets. And so Talmadge, just you know, ever the skeptic, decided to go out by himself, and he excavated several mounds and didn't find anything. And so because of this, um, he accused Scottford and Silper of forging the artifacts. So the controversy kind of laid dormant for a while. Um, people were split. There were some scholars that believed they were real and others that didn't. Now we're going to fast forward to 1953. Now a judge in Peoria, Illinois, a judge Cloud Stone of Peoria, asked a respected Chicago attorney, scholar, and scientist by the name of Henrietta Mertz to study the Soper Savage collection. And those were all the Michigan artifacts that had been collected by Soper and by Father Savage. Now, she was uniquely qualified for this because she was trained in forgery and identification during World War II. And she served in the OSSS, or the precursor to the CIA. So extremely renowned and well-known scholar. She studied these, and she came to the conclusion that these are absolutely authentic that these artifacts are real. And she published her findings, and the book, her book was published just after her death in 1986. It was called Mystic Symbol. Um, and she believed that a group of Christians around 380 had fled um, the Middle East because of persecution by the then early Roman church, um, because it, along with a lot of the Coptic Christians, they believed the Roman church were changing uh, a lot of the truths that Christ had restored or some of the original truths and then were being persecuted for it. So she believed a group of Christians around 380 left, boarded ships just like the ancient Phoenicians have done across the seas and went to the Americas. And then they were the source of these Michigan artifacts. Now um, let's go back to 1960. LDS missionaries, Mormon missionaries, elders Bird and Roundy, met with um, a father, Catholic priest, Charles Sheedy, who taught at Notre Dame. Um, so they they went to this father, and they went had some discussions with this priest, and the priest thought that these missionaries would be really interested in this collection he had. So it turned out that Father Savage, upon his death, had donated or, or uh, had, had willed his entire collection to Notre Dame because um, he was a Catholic priest. So Father Sheedy, now in 1960, thinks these, uh, these LDS missionaries would be interested in this, and, and he shows these missionaries these tablets with Hebrew writing and cuneiform and biblical scenes and so forth. And, of course, these missionaries were extremely excited about it, and they contacted Elder Milton R. Hunter, First Council of the Seventy, and my grandfather, because, again, my grandfather was known sort of as the church archaeologist at the time. Um, and then um, my grandfather, you know, went out to Michigan and, and to Notre Dame and was very interested in the artifacts. And so the Catholic Church and Notre Dame University gave the entire collection to my grandfather. 
Um, and that collection consists, consisted of maybe 800 or 900 pieces. And um, how they would identify a lot of these Michigan artifacts, other than the cuneiform Egyptian writing and biblical scenes, is they would have a symbol called, which Henrietta Mertz, when she was studying them, named the mystic symbol. And it was a marking in cuneiform that sort of marked or branded all of these kind of artifacts. Um, and in 1973, my grandfather, Elder Hunter, began a manuscript about these Michigan artifacts. Um, in 1974, um, my grandfather became sick, and he, he donated his entire collection to the LDS Church, where it was then warehoused in the Church Museum. And then in 1975, uh, my grandfather passed away. Now we're going to fast forward to the year 2000. So the LDS Church notifies my family. Um, and again, my name is Koritz, but my mom is a hunter. So this would be the hunter family. Um, she notifies the hunter family about the possibility of donating the, the Michigan tablets, this entire collection, to the state of Michigan, where it could be studied there by by archaeologists so um they insisted um my family was a little resident um you know they were a little hesitant to to allow this but the church insisted that these were serious archaeologists they were going to study it right now they were just in a dark warehouse and let's get these out where scholars can study them and then they added but and by the way no legal action can really prevent us from doing this but we're you know we're talking with you about it. So given that, my family consents, and and the caveat is if they are properly studied, um, you know, in a faithful and fair way, then uh, my family gave its consent. Well, in 2001, a professor of anthropology named Richard Stamps at Oakland University, who was a member of the church, wrote a book called Tool Leaves Marks, Material Analysis of the Scottford Soper Savage Michigan Relics. Essentially, Stamps, Stamp claimed that the artifacts were made by metal tools. And this is one reason he says these can't be authentic, despite him being a Mormon, and despite the Book of Mormon clearly discussing the use of metal, um, Stamps, Dr. Stamps said, these can't be real because metal tools are used. And so his disapproval of the collection was kind of the final nail in the coffin for the LDS leadership. And we understand this went up to all the way to the 12, um, who, who made this decision. And ultimately Elder Neil A. Maxwell was the decision maker. And he decided, let's get, let's get rid of this collection. They're too controversial. Let's donate them to Michigan State University. So in 2003, the LDS Church donates the Soper Savage Collection to Michigan State University. Now, the Michigan Historical Museum, which is their museum on campus, showcased the collection under the banner of fraudulent artifacts. So the minute they receive these, they, they, do a, uh, they put them up under display and do a whole exhibition under fraudulent artifacts. And so you can imagine the Hunter family. My family was extremely upset. Um, this was not what the church had, had promised us. Um, and now this, these artifacts, which my grandfather believed in, was a PhD, was a smart guy, and believed these were truly authentic, along with Dr. Henrietta Mertz, um, believed they're authentic, um, but, but that didn't matter. And now these uh, artifacts are being mocked. 
Well, in tw- 2014, myself, Alex Quartz, um, and again, I'm Elder Hunter's grandson, I attempted to secure the collection from Michigan State University. Um, first, I met with LDS church officials, um, and I, you know, to see what we could do to, to, to get these, uh, these, these artifacts back. Um, and so the museum bounced me to, um, to the church's lawyers, uh, Curtin and McConkie, which they sort of put up a shield and said, talk to these guys. And, you know, I, I made the case that, look, the, we gave our consent for these artifacts to, to be given to the Michigan, Michigan State University only if they were going to be studied properly and not mocked. Um, the, essentially, to make a long story short, the, uh, the lawyers for the church said, tough luck, too bad, your family gave the consent. And now they're in the, the property of Michigan, the state of Michigan, and that's all we can do. Goodbye. Sorry. Very sort of cold, curt um, reception from, from the LDS church and its attorneys. Um, so I, you know, okay. So I thought I was work with the state of Michigan. So I went out to Michigan State University and met with their head archaeologist that oversaw the collection, Eric Perkins. Um, and just, you know, I'm a PR guy, so I brought along with me Ryan Fisher of the Nephite Explorer Program, which runs on um, KJS-14. Um, and I know he's interested in this stuff, so I, I brought him along to, to film what was what was going on. Now, Eric Perkins, Dr. Perkins, was extremely accommodating. Um, he pulled out the entire collection. He spent like three to four hours with us, let us film let us ask questions, let us do interviews. And of course, you know, he is not a believer in them. Um, and he thinks that his reason were that, you know, there's a mixture of languages here and it just doesn't kind of make sense there would be. And of course, you know, if you're believing the Book of Mormon, you know that the, the language of the Nephites used was was a reformed Egyptian or in the Hebrew had been corrupted by them. So anyway, uh, there's mixed languages here. And why would there be Christians in ancient America? That just wouldn't happen. So Dr. Perkins has to go along with a lot of traditional archaeologists. And without getting into it, today's archaeologists have a dogma that is as religious as anything, that if they go against the, the current dogma, then it's career suicide, right? So Dr. Perkins maintained the belief that these weren't, these weren't, um, accurate. So um, despite my attempts um, on behalf of the family, we could not get these artifacts back. However, if you're ever in Michigan, um, you can contact Eric Perkins, a Michigan State archaeologist, and he will allow you to go to go see the artifacts. Um, Some interesting things on the Michigan artifacts. I talked about this mystic symbol. Um, Well, it is identified as cuneiform. Um, however, when you talk uh, to the Native Americans in this area um, around Michigan, the natives there, they say it, it, they recognize the symbol. It's on some of their ancient records, and they identify it as the name for the Creator's son, and they call it Yod Heid Va. And of course, that is extremely interesting because it's very close to the word yah, Yahweh or Yahovah. Now, there's a researcher, a non-LDS researcher, David Dill. He's done a lot of, of research on these, um, and he's identified 
different things, such as the, the Ten Commandments found in here. Um, one really interesting thing that uh, Dill uncovered was that now one of these tablets, it was unearthed on eight, in 1896. Um, now, it, it, there was a man's head, uh, with, and this, it was a calendar that it seemed to be corresponding to the end of July. Well, it was pointing at a certain solar eclipse that also held a, a media shower at, at the same time over the month of, of July or midsummer. And this was passing directly overhead, which this would be precisely Isabella County, just, uh, just west of Detroit, Michigan. Well, it turned out that if you look at the astronomical records, that there was a solar eclipse with a meteor shower directly overhead at about 352 AD. So he, Dr. Mr. Dill feels that this single artifact proves that these, these are, are genuine. There's no way that could have been faked. So essentially these artifacts, the Michigan artifacts, they're found, um, they have been found because again, they're identified by the mystic symbol in 27 Michigan counties. They have been found across seven states in the United States as far as Maine, and an estimate from anywhere from 10 to 30,000 artifacts originally. Um, this, the slate was found, has been taken from the Quinoa Peninsula, which is up near Wisconsin, the Great Lakes, a couple hundred miles away, and the copper from Isle Royale in Michigan, which is an island um, in the Great Lakes, a couple hundred miles away. Um, and during his day, you know, when they were accusing Daniel Soper and others of, of manufacturing these, um, Daniel Soper was, was exact, exasperated with that and frustrated. And he said, quote, I have personal knowledge of more than 3,000 articles that have been found. And if they are and were buried to be found, whoever buried them has been a very busy person because they have been found throughout the state by hundreds of different people. Now, the, the biggest problem, so the, the metal cut marks, you know, a lot of these, uh, these carvings clearly were made by metal tools. So some, most archaeologists say, yeah, metal was not in the New World. Um, but Mormons um, disagree with that. Um, another big criticism is a lot of these artifacts were unfired clay, so clay that wasn't fired in a fire and buried. And they said, look, if this was in the moist Michigan soil, this, this, this clay would be long gone. So, uh, Wayne May, who is the, the publisher of Ancient American Magazine, um, that studies diffusionism and ancient cultures contact with, uh, ancient, mostly North America, and just happens to be LDS. So he's interested in this. He took, um, he has several of these pieces and he took one of the pieces of this unfired clay and put it in a bottle of water for one year. And then when he took that out, there was zero change. So it's very unlikely that these, these would have broken down. Um, now what it gets, and then my grandfather started a book about this and he was writing a letter to Ellis Clark Soper, which was the nephew of Daniel Soper. Um, and he asked my grandpa if he believed these were genuine. And my grandpa wrote back and said, also, the fact that many people have proclaimed that both Father Savages and your fathers, so excuse me, Ellis is Daniel's son. 
So starting over, also the fact that many people have proclaimed that both Father Savage's and your father's collections are frauds or forgeries makes your and my problem much more complicated. As you know, I personally, however, feel that the artifacts are all genuine. So my grandfather absolutely believed these these were. Um, again, one uh, I mentioned these were found in different states as far as Maine. Um, there is a... The mystic symbol is found on an island just off of Maine called Monaghan Island. And there has also been uh, Phoenician writing found there. And on a big stone right on the island, um, facing, you know, eastward into into the Atlantic Ocean, there is Phoenician writing that says Carbo, cargo ships from Phoenicia. So, again, interesting. Um, did these ancient people trade with each other? Uh, most likely did. So... It, it, it remains to be controversial because as you look at, at the collection, there is some sheet copper in there that is interesting because sheet copper is sort of a modern invention and some of, some of these inscriptions were found on sheet copper. So you do start to see a few fakes that may have been thrown in with some of these and people playing tricks or trying to make money off of what was already being found. And so it's it's like throwing mud in the water and making it murky. It doesn't mean all the entire collection, all these artifacts are fraudulent, but it is pretty clear that some um, frauds have been have been found. And once something is sort of polluted like that, archaeologists won't touch it. They're just there's so much dogma that they're afraid of and messing up their career. They're just not even going to touch it. But for one forger to forge these up to 30,000 artifacts is impossible, and particularly given the timeline. Now, the first artifacts were found in 1848, containing the mystic symbol, and then they were found throughout the states clear up into 1920. Now, there's no way one person or even a group of persons could have manufactured or, or faked these, these uh, artifacts. So again, if you want to see the Michigan artifacts, go to Michigan State University. Um, it's the, the university there in Lansing on in the uh, museum on campus. Just ask, and they'll they'll bring you back and, and show them to you. Um, I personally think they are genuine. Um, are, are they proof of the Book of Mormon? No, certainly not. But do they make um, the Book of Mormon a little more plausible? Sure, it absolutely lends evidence to ancient cultures coming to to ancient America. Thanks for listening.